This episode of Making Chips is brought to you by the letter G. Okay, G. G is for global, globally competitive market. What, what are you talking about, Jason? Well, we're talking about the GFMC conference, Jim. That's right. That's that great conference that AMT is putting on October 11th through the 13th in Atlanta, Georgia. The Marriott Marquis downtown, right? You got it. And they have early bird pricing if you register before September 8th. Awesome. I'm going to try and get there. They've got some great speakers. I was on their site the other day. All you have to do is go to amtonline.org forward slash GFMC and hit the button that says register today for those early bird pricing. I mean, that's definitely my biggest surprise um, because I do think having come from an industry that has large margins and an R&D spend coming to manufacturing, you have to do a lot and hustle a lot for a small margin. And it is much more difficult. There's so many more variables in the air every day. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. Jim here for Making Chips. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode. We hope to equip and inspire you once again with some relevant manufacturing news. I'm sitting here in our remote studio in Schaumburg, Illinois, at the Technology and Manufacturing Association, uh, which Jason and I are very close to. We have a lot of friends and peers here, and we're part of their board of directors, and they've uh, let us use a room here today. But uh, I'm sitting across the desk from my good friend, my co-host, Mr. Jay-Z, Jason Zanger. Hey, man. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm good. I'm fired up. Had a cup of coffee. You sure sound fired up. I'm looking forward to this episode because we've got... Uh, a repeat guest that I'm sure everyone's going to want to hear about. It's a it, favorite repeat guest. It is a favorite. It's one of she our most been, downloadables. Everybody keeps saying you need to bring her back. Yes. So She's we are here. very excited to have her back. Live, in person, yes. So what do you got for some manufacturing news? Uh, I, this is the, one of my favorite parts of the whole show, when we when we get to talk about all those all those things non-political that uh, in in the manufacturing sector that's relevant to to our industry. Yeah, so this is, I guess, news of sorts. Um, I'm going to make it into news, and I think this goes along with a lot of the subject matter that we talk about a lot on making chips, which is don't get saddled with six figures worth of debt. Look at a career in manufacturing as something that could really equip you for your life in order to make great money, to challenge you, something that's technologically forward, something where you could you know, start a new business if you wanted to. So I, I actually listen to a lot of podcasts. You, know, you do? I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Guess well, how many I listen to? Zero. No. 
One. One. one making chips. Yeah. The only one you need to listen yeah. to, actually. The one we have no competition, right? Right. Exactly. So I listen to a podcast called Entree Leadership. The Entree Leadership stands for Entrepreneur and Leader. Um, and they had a gentleman on who started a company called Mission U. And I thought it was very interesting. The web, their website is missionu.com. And basically what, what this um, guy is trying to do is he is trying to equip... 19-year-olds, instead of going to college to get a um, an education, it's not like an accredited university or anything like that, but to get an education and prepare them for the next generation of of jobs that are, that are coming to this country. And I really love the story that he had, and part of it had to do with his wife and all of the debt that she was um, strapped with. And you always hear about these kids that, you know, they, they go to university and they spend six years there and they have a, you know, a master's in like basket weaving or something like that. And it's like, you know, what what are you doing? You just you just got two hundred thousand dollars in debt and you have no job prospects. It's like, you know, come on, we need to be smarter than this. Going to college should not be an excuse to just party for for six years. Right. Well, you know, this is not the first time we've talked about this, you know, on the show. And we know, we know how lucrative a career in manufacturing can be. The thing is, Jason, how the hell do we get those kids, those young people, integrated at a young point into the industry to get them excited about it so they don't have to come out of college after six years with $200,000 in debt that they probably will have a hard time paying off for the rest of their life? Absolutely. So, I mean, is it who, whose responsibility is that? Is it... Is it to you know, steer their children in the right direction? Is it the parents? I think it's 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 very much the parents, but it's also just a societal issue. You know, and, and everybody has this mentality that um you know, you, you your kids have to go to college. And that is a very recent phenomenon that everybody said you you have to go to college. And even my wife, I've I've had this argument with her. So my son, his dream, I mean it's this has been consistent, is that he wants to be um, a firefighter and um, possibly like a um, like an EMS, you know, in the ambulance. And you know, you don't need a undergraduate college education to do that in all cases. And, you know, but my wife's like, no, our son is going to go to college. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, we have 10 years. You better before, table that. For we have 12 years, years before we have to yeah. talk about that. So it's really not relevant now. Um, but still, that is that is just the, the the thought process that people have is that you have to go to university. I would feed the 529 plan or whatever, oh, I already whatever it is. Oh, believe me. Yeah, believe yeah, no, me. I'm, I'm yeah. doing that. So that, I'd like to, so the, the Mission U, they're, they're not, they don't have anything to do with manufacturing. At this point, they're training students to be in data analytics and business intelligence. But I think it's just a great model for us to look at and say, you know, can we can we look at this type of a model for manufacturing for the next career in manufacturing? So um, what it says is Unlike traditional college or online schools, Mission U is a modern take on higher education that delivers a uniquely immersive, collaborative, and efficient learning experience. So they talk about real-time collaboration. So right now, it's just in one uh, location. They have real-world projects. So they've advertised businesses coming to them and giving them their business intelligence or data analytics projects that the students will do for free. And They've got a big backing. I mean, I, I won't say um, too much more about the gentleman that started it, but he is um, he's definitely equipped in the education um, sector to be able to do something like this. And I'm really excited to see how well this does and if there's a model like this for manufacturers. That would translate over, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds great. It sounds great. I wish him, the, I wish him well. 
Jim, anything new going on in the in the world of Car Machine Tool or just you know Jim yeah. Power's world? Yeah, we're we're busy. Uh, I I know you sound exhausted I, every time I, I talk to you. I haven't seen things this good in a long time. You're always trying to uh, rush me off the phone nowadays. I mean, what, what's the deal with that? <laughs> well, because you go on and on forever and ever. That's I why. go on and on. Give me That's why. <laughs> I, I got to stay I think hyper focused. I think the on audience the knows re- the things that are relevant. You know, <laughs> I think the audience and knows who that, goes on and that, on. <laughs> not that when I talk to you, it's not relevant. It's just you know we're constantly. And, you should and hang I'm out sure, every one of my I'm words. Sure, I'm sure our guest and you even know how we're. It, I feel like every day we're like juggling things, and I'm today I'm juggling ten things, and all of a sudden somebody whips me like three more things to keep juggling, and and that's how I feel right now. So. Things are busy. We bought a new machine. We're taking delivery on a new Mazak in um, mid-September. I hired a new employee. We're training him. Great, great things are coming from him. He's learning our, you know, our culture. Our culture. Yeah, yep. and he, he was aligned with our core values, and um, I'm excited about the future. I, I really am. That's great. And um, Excited but exhausted about it, right? Yeah, well, you know, I've got to put into place things that I always talk about and how, how important it is to delegate responsibilities and to hire the right person for the right role, right? That's what we always talk about. So guess what? That's what I got to go ahead and do. It's just, it's not an easy task. Yeah, there's, there's like this old business story, and I don't, I don't remember who made this up, but you can have somebody come into your office and it's essentially like when they're giving you a problem or giving you a task, it's like they're handing you a monkey. And if you have 10 people come into your office and each of them hand you monkeys, all of a sudden you've got 10 monkeys on your back. And that's what it sounds like at some points that you get. Is yeah, you get exactly. 10 monkeys on your back. And you know, it, part of being a business leader is trying to figure out how do I make sure that nobody gives me these monkeys because it's, it becomes overwhelming. Right, right. First of all, it's tough to get skilled people to come in and, and, and run my manufacturing company because there's just not, It's a craft. There's nobody out there, quite frankly. Um, we need to figure out how to train people so, to be those craftsmen. So if you're listening and you're skilled and you're in the Chicagoland area, go to our website, carmachine.com, and apply here. I'll definitely, I'll definitely talk with you. So uh, You yeah. want to give out your cell phone? No, I will not give my <laughs> cell phone out. I don't need the haters. <laughs> So, you know, yeah, I, I mean, we're really busy, Jason. What about you? What's going on at Zangers? Oh, by the way, I just sent your uh, internal person a nice quote today, too, for oh, some, thank you. Uh, some parts. I but, appreciate uh, that. Just before I left, I, I got it over there. Some and like, we got to talk about that tooling package, too, for yeah. the new CNC. Yeah, I think it was a quote for some helicoil parts or something it like was. that. Yep. Okay, great. Thank yep. you. So what's going on at Zangers? Tell me something good. I don't want to hear anything you bad. Know, we're busy. No, things are really good. I mean, my, my team, they, they always kind of... Um, they they always kind of give me the business because you know they don't see me enough. Um, but I, I think, would say that I think that they they love the fact that I'm not standing over them all the time, and um, I'm getting a lot of great work done on my own. I mean, even this morning, I woke up at 4:30 a.m. and I got to work, and I got a lot of work done outside of the office in my home, and then I was able to you know have breakfast with my family. I mean, it was it was really nice. So I'm being efficient and getting a lot of work done, and my team is taking control, and it's just it's it's all good. I I have got a grand plan that I'm trying to achieve and um, things are really moving along in the right direction. We had a um, all-day quarterly meeting yesterday and um, it was great. It exhausted but energized me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, I just got a, a, a news release yesterday that said U.S. cutting tools year-to-date consumption up 5.8% in June. I can so, attest to that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good statistic Absolutely. for you. And, you know, that if, if machine shops aren't busy, they're not buying cutting tools no, or, not. or a machining center. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good testament to see what's yeah. going on. So Absolutely. 
so we are, as we mentioned, we're very excited to have a repeat guest back here. She um, she was on episodes 26 and 28. And so I would love for, if you haven't listened to those episodes, stop right now, press pause, go back, download 26 and 28. No, seriously. And, and go back and listen to those episodes just so you could see this continuation and the, you know, the evolution um, to gonna, this point. I was going to use that word evolution. Oh, you were? Yeah, okay. I was. Okay. You just so, took the word right out I'm of my sorry. mouth. So yeah. you could see, you could hear the, um, the evolution of Patricia Miller, the yeah. CEO and visionary of Matrix 4. So Patricia Miller is the CEO and visionary of Matrix 4, and she is a former marketing executive in pharma and biotech focused on bringing drugs to the market. So Patricia has a lot of experience in marketing, and we talked about this in episodes 26 and 28 where we, we questioned Patricia. We said, are you sure that you want to go into manufacturing? She said, she said, yes, I'm sure. And you could hear that whole story in episodes 26 and 28. So welcome, Patricia. We are very happy to have you back to Making Chips. Thanks. I'm happy to be back. Hey, Patricia. So great to see you again. Good to Seriously, see you guys too. so yeah. Just it, instead of everyone stopping and hitting the pause button right now and going to those episodes, they already did, Jim. Let's revisit. Just, just let's give us a, a ninety-second synopsis about what we talked about at that time, and 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 why you decided to to go into your grandpa's manufacturing company. Do you remember that when 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 you decided? I remember when you were. Uh, that younger version of yourself over two years ago and we were talking in our studio and and you were really really hungry to come into industry to manufacturing and um well that's what we're going to talk about today is what's changed what have you learned but most importantly i want to see if you still have the same passion Definitely. Um, I think as we were reflecting on it before we started um, recording, I was trying to think about where I was at two years ago when we were doing those initial podcasts. And I think I was about six months in the business and it definitely was trying to raise all tides for the boat um, across all the areas of the business. I feel like we're still there three years later, just in different challenges now. But as you said, it definitely was my younger version of myself. I think I have aged in manufacturing, um, but the business is in a good place and, and I'm definitely still passionate about it. Um, it's more difficult than I thought it was to be in manufacturing, um, but definitely love being part of the sector and being able to make physical products. Many of our listeners, Patricia, are, are people that are, are startups like you essentially were when you took over for your grandpa. Can you share with us like what were some of the biggest roadblocks? I, I know I visited your, your property out in Woodstock and, and I saw and you're like, Jim, we just threw all this crap out. We just We just had to clean the place up. That was the very first thing. But, you know, as other people that are listening to the show, maybe you can share with them some of the bigger roadblocks so it's easier for them to jump over that hurdle when they get to it. Sure. And I think a lot of businesses have experienced this, that you know, coming out of the recession and the global economy opening up, a lot of businesses were impacted, particularly here in the Midwest. And so what I took over was a 37-year-old business, but was bleeding cash and didn't have leadership at the helm, didn't have a team, and really didn't have a customer base anymore. And so it was, how do you take the shell of a business and convert it into something? But I remember that first week on the job 
job, having come from an industry that was pretty heavily resourced, you know, that first week on the job, sitting in a conference room with wood paneling everywhere um, and old lighting and uh, laptops that were ancient and an animal scurrying across the floor at 11 oh, you o'clock. Didn't, I, I never knew that there were animals <laughs> scurrying. No. So but I, of course, I mean, why, why not? We clearly need to get in, in a service to come in here. But Was it a it, squirrel? What, what kind of I animal? don't know. A mole. It didn't have a tail. I just jumped up on the desk. But I thought, what the hell did I do? And so we had to elevate the business across all areas from an aesthetic standpoint and a strategic standpoint. And I think as I was sharing with you guys on those early episodes, I didn't have a team either. Not not only did I not have clients, we didn't have a team. And so it really was, how do you build this from scratch? So, so you mentioned aesthetically, but more strategically. I mean, obviously, the aesthetics part was fairly easy. You you get paint some paint. Does a, does you throw a long some way. Yeah. yeah, right. You 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 throw things out. You get some paint. You buy some new furniture. Mm-hmm. You, you patch some holes. You get some new lighting fixtures in. But I think the most important thing is is being strategic. And how did you pull all those strategies that you learned and were utilizing in pharma and biotech, especially in the manufacturing sense? And how did you pull those through into a small manufacturing company? Yeah, I definitely didn't have the technical expertise, and that is something that still is is challenging today. But what I did have was looking at the ability to take data and look at the marketplace and see that there was massive consolidation going on, that you had the private equity groups buying out the small to mid-sized manufacturers, and you had the large manufacturers that continued to do well, like a Berry Plastics or Aptar Flextronics. And so I saw a huge gap in the market from these smaller companies either going under or being gobbled up and thought, um, can we position this company to be able to satisfy that need in the market where you may not be doing zillions of widgets or zillions of dollars and have the ability to be more custom taking things from smaller scale or larger scale. And so that's how we built the strategy of Matrix, which was, you know, we want to be nimble and agile and support the large makers, but we also wanted to be able to support makers that weren't to volumes yet and were looking to scale. Um, And so I think just putting in place and then being able to take a bite off of the elephant every day. But it was hard initially because we were burning cash. And so how do you look at stopping the bleed at the company while also needing to grow and invest and making those trade-offs? And and was your thought with those smaller competitors out there that they were going out of business because they didn't um, spend the time or invest in the real, the business side, working on the business, the structures, the processes. Um, They had essentially moved up from the shop floor into running the business, and that's where their focus was, whereas you had a lot of those business processes and those structures that you had learned on the job, and you can bring that to the business. Was that the difference that you saw? I think that's one of the reasons, you know, I think that a lot of the owners of small to mid-sized manufacturing companies either inherited the business from their family member who retired or passed away or grew up on the shop floor and found themselves then in a leadership position. And so they're running it from a very technically competent position, but maybe not the business-oriented approach. And I think it's nice to have both because I can see the short-sightedness even myself as 
as a leader of not having that technical expertise. But I definitely think you've got to have the mix of the two. Yeah, I mean, the best case scenario, somebody that grew up on the shop floor had those technical capabilities and then took the time to learn the business side of things. But, you know, I would say 80% of the of, of the shop owners out there, they just, they don't take the time to do that. That's right. Or they may not be open-minded to it either, right? We, A lot we of times they're not. That too. Yeah. So what do you attribute the success of these larger OEMs, your competitors? Because you, you went back to say, you, you started out by stay, saying that your competition is the, the larger OEMs, the bigger. What are they doing differently? Or what is their competitive edge? Well, I think we always talk about, you know, the supply chain and manufacturing requires the small to midsize and the large to support OEMs. And and so I think the small to midsize becomes the critical majority of the supply chain. But we don't have the same resources that large manufacturing companies have. And along with those resources, it's not just, um, you know, it's time, resources, talent, and treasures. And so having the ability to have larger staff teams with subject matter experts expertise, being able to automate, being able to have resources to update for efficiencies, bring in software and technology um, that the small to midsize doesn't always have access to or is easy access to. Um, But what I've also observed is a lot of the larger manufacturers know what they're really good at and they produce things in high volume and have created automated factory floors that can drive the efficiencies that the small to midsize can't always. What were some of the surprises? You know, you're, you're three years in. What are some of the surprises that you found besides manufacturing is hard? Because yeah. we do see that. I mean, it's, it's hard to make. I mean, Jim and I talk about this all the time with gas. It's business is competitive nowadays. Manufacturing is an especially hard business. It's very fulfilling, but it's difficult. So what, what, was, what surprised you most after these first three years? I mean, that's definitely my biggest surprise um, because I do think having come from an industry that has large margins and and R&D spend, coming to manufacturing, you have to do a lot and hustle a lot for a small margin. Um, And it is much more difficult. There's so many more variables in the air every day. Um, I would say besides that, my largest surprise is that three years in, I am still here. You know, I think that first year in the business, it really was the leap of faith to say, let me try this. But I was also acutely aware that it could fail. And the business was already essentially failed from a numbers standpoint. And so, you know, I'm excited that three years in, I, I didn't know I would ever be in the position of owning a manufacturing company, um, but excited to continue looking looking to our future and where we're going. So let me ask you, Patricia. So I know, I know you had a, a significant amount of turnover in, in staff. Was there a big percentage of people that you had to move out of roles and find somebody in? Well, bring in. yeah, definitely. I mean, the key for me was being, you know, since three years ago, now I do have a team in place. And we had brought in EOS and, and started driving that from a culture standpoint, too. And so quickly, I realized as a visionary, I needed an integrator. And so Will, you know, who's here, here today, um, has definitely driven a critical role within the organization and putting a lot of those processes and team in place. And 
I think, you know, when we started, I only had a handful of teammates. And so all of our team growth has been from going out and finding talent and finding the right fits culturally and for the organization, which has been difficult. We've seen less turnover with our core team or what we call our L10 team, but definitely from the factory level, finding good manufacturing associates that are running your machines that are reliable and showing up and see this as a long-term career has been more difficult. And uh, we had gone from working four days a week, one shift when I started the company. And now we run three shifts, 24 hours, five and six days a week. And so scaling too to have the right people on the right shifts was critical. And, and Will definitely played the key role in staffing up and getting our second and third shifts running. So you mentioned his name twice. So Why don't we introduce him? Yeah, Jason, why don't you go right ahead? So this is our Patricia's surprise guest that she brought with today, and he's also a good friend of mine as well, and uh, I met him a couple years ago. Okay, Will Scott is the uh, CFO and integrator of Matrix 4, and Will actually started off um, part of his career here in the States in 1995 in the manufacturing industry, uh, manufacturing process equipment, and then in 1999, Will um, started on a path of software and started a supply chain software company, and then in 2010, also started a mobile app development company. So Will has a very diverse experience, and um, welcome to making chips well thanks and it's great to be back in manufacturing yes and so good to see you man boy some good energy here i hope i can keep up with you guys yeah you'll be fine (laughs) yeah can i get you a cup of coffee (laughs) (laughs) so tell us a little bit about your background and and and, you know and i want to know how how you and patricia met and started your business relationship well indeed so in fact we did meet in the entrepreneurial world um, Trisha came out of big business, took over Matrix 4, and uh, I guess was looking for help in being an entrepreneur. Joined the Chicago Entrepreneurs Organization, where I was a member, a board member at the time, had been there for 10 years. And um, so it was that, basically. It was how we first met. And a few months later, the association led to um, me joining Matrix 4 as CFO and COO and integrator, as we say. So that was in... When what, what couple year, of years ago? Couple of years ago, Will. Yeah. yeah. So, what role? What what role do you take in the day to day shop floor, if you will, um, activities? And, and yeah. what what is your role? What do you do? How often do you you know? Yeah. As, as, so, as how the, long do you integrate with Patricia? Yeah. <laughs> so, as the two you know main leaders of the company, I would summarize it like this: Patricia as the CEO and visionary. Um, takes a largely external focus, um, taking care of large customers, relationships, um, evangelizing about manufacturing and about Matrix 4, PR, marketing, that sort of thing. The big ideas. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm not saying that's all she does because for sure she keeps an eye on the things internally, but that's how we divide our, our, our time and our labor is with her having a largely external focus, me having a largely internal focus, taking care of sort of existing customers and uh, making sure that we're buying materials, making stuff and sending good quality out the door at the same time as making sure our team is you know fitting with our culture and uh, that we're a healthy business and that we're making money. <laughs> right. At the end of the day, that's what we all want to do, yeah. right? So how quickly after um, you took over the business, Patricia, did you realize that you needed to bring some of those business structures in place? Like what was the, I guess, what was the, what was the business structure before you took over the business? Were they, 
Were they not even having meetings? Was there no like communication? I mean, what what was the state of things in the very beginning, and what did you envision for how you wanted to run a company? Yeah, I, I think you know a long time ago the business was running in a really prosperous, high energy, producing a lot of things going out the door. When I took the business over, though, it was pretty dreary. It didn't have good energy. There wasn't a culture. No meetings were being had. It was really just a skeletal crew that when an order came in, they processed it through the floor. And so it was within that first week, we realized we needed to create some sort of structure. And even with a a small team to be able to have those daily huddles and touch bases of what we were doing. And so I put together um, kind of a set of meeting routine, which was what are we doing on a quarterly basis, which was more strategic, and then what were we doing on a weekly and daily basis. Even even though I didn't have all the right people in the seats at the time, I knew that we needed to start moving with that momentum. Um, and so we started that from right off the bat. And Will, you were a part of that that initial exercise to, to bring that structure into place? Yes, indeed. I think we started that probably uh, about a year ago. And uh, a meeting rhythm is what we call it. And we adopted the EOS or Entrepreneurial Operating System way of doing that. So every Monday we have our L10 meeting, which is... What uh, is an L10 meeting, Will? I've, he- I've heard Jason talk about that. <laughs> so it's short for level 10. And the idea is you're going to grade this meeting a 10 out of a 10. And um, indeed, every meeting is at the end. You're asking for everybody to grade the meeting out of 10. And the idea is to make it that 90-minute meeting a really efficient and worthwhile meeting, that everybody walks out of there having got value from the meeting. So it's a value meeting, and we call it L10 for that reason. Yeah, a lot of people, when they think of going to a meeting, they you know they roll their eyes and they say, this is going to be a waste of time. I've got a lot of things to do. Um, but the objective of the level 10 is that you, you exit the meeting having spent really good time and setting yourself up for success for the next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say almost that's where you, that, that almost becomes the meeting for the week. The rest of the week, you've got to go do your job. Of course, there's some other meetings that happen. But um, so we do that. We have a daily huddle, 10 minute huddle as a manufacturing with the entire team. With the entire production you know, team or just the team leaders? Um, it's it, it's an operational L10, mm-hmm. um, but and it's mainly operations focused. But um, we do actually include, for example, Tricia, the CEO, is is also there, um, and it's just a really good sync up for everybody on that day. So tell tell us about your daily huddle because we've heard the same thing from Craig Zoberis a past episode, mm-hmm. and I'd love to hear your um, your idea of the daily huddle. Mm-hmm. Well, you start off with good news. <laughs> That's another EOS thing. What's what's the great news to, to make sure things are starting positive? Um, then we tend to do a check-in, like a what's up. You go around. Just and really quick. quick. What's up? Just what are you doing today? Okay. Yeah. Will, what's up? So, I mean, what? No, I, I want to yeah. know. I want to know how. How do you answer that question? Is it like because I'm I'm doing this job and this is uh, this is challenging me and you know. The, so my WhatsApp would be... Inquiring minds want to know because yeah. I, I have not implemented an EOS system. I've yeah. implemented parts of that. Yeah. I, I get it. I get you know the po- starting the meeting on a positive note. Yeah. But what do you mean, what's up? Well, so, for, one, for one thing, it's a stand-up meeting, right? So And it's 10 minutes and we don't... So no one's got too long to talk here. Um, but my WhatsApp for today would be, okay, I checked in with my operations manager about that meeting yesterday. Um, hey, what happened with that? How do we finish that off? Did you communicate to the customer? 
Um, and then I'll say that, look, my day looks like this. I'm going to be down in Schaumburg for the middle of the day doing a podcast with the amazing Making Chips team. Bam. <laughs> um, and then this afternoon, it, um, you know, I'll, I'll be back and involved and I'll be checking in with you guys around that customer visit tomorrow while we prepared for that. And I know I've got a one-on-one with my finance guy because, you know, we're looking at, um, looking at our numbers. I yeah. wanted uh, you to define that because I kind of wanted to clearly have it stated when you say yeah. what's up, yeah. I want you, I want to know what you're sharing with the team. Well, one of the things that I've seen, you know, that it, is there's a major lack of communication with some of the old, um, I guess, mindset as far as running a business goes. So the old mindset is I'm everything, I own all the information and I'm going to let that information go as I deem it appropriate for the team to know. And a lot of times when people are in the dark, they just make stuff up. And usually when they make stuff up, it's usually worst case scenario. So they think to themselves, we don't have enough jobs. When's the next order coming? I'm going to take a long time to do this order because I don't know when the next one is coming back. But if you have this open dialogue of communication on a daily basis and a weekly basis, people are in the know and then they can help to make those changes in order to you know elevate the company and move things forward. What we also see, too, is that, you know, the cross-functional collaboration is so critical. And just from a cultural standpoint, knowing that we still wear multiple hats as a more entrepreneurial company, we wanted to make sure that there is that informal communication pathway, too, to say, okay, if I'm working on this today, oh, well, I may be working on something correlated to that. Let's make sure we're syncing up. There's a little bit higher level of awareness of what each of the functional areas are working on so when there should be synergies those are happening so have you have you gotten feedback from the team maybe people that have been there since the beginning when you took over that 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 have said i love this level of communication you know this is what we needed 10 years ago well, you know, as I think of our core team, no one's been there longer than two years. That's what I was okay. going to say. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, even with our team that is not legacy teammates, the, our levels of communication and what we're doing, it's still not a norm for the industry. So even though they haven't been at Matrix 4 for long, they haven't experienced that those levels of things, perhaps that there are other roles. But I think one thing we do get feedback on is we that was what you said, Jason, people don't want to just have meetings to have meetings. So if they know that the meeting rhythm and structure we've put together keeps it concise, keeps timelines down, we're not just having meetings to have the sake of meetings, it's really for discussion and solving issues, then I think um, they're a lot more receptive to come into those engaged. I I think the team now is almost just they wouldn't consider not having these meetings, that that's how kind of trained they are on it. I mean, how do you have it go through a day without having a daily huddle? Um, and the last question we always ask in our daily huddle is who needs help? And, and that's a really good one. If someone's struggling, we've got to get 10 proposals out today, you know, and our, and our proposal guy needs help, then okay, that's just a chance to say that. Um, th- th- just if I may, the one other important agenda item in our daily huddle is the numbers. So we have three core numbers that are up. Discuss sales numbers? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, we really? do actually. Yeah, okay. we're we're not quite. I mean, we're pretty close to being open book management. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're very comfortable with that. But there's three core numbers that that we track every day, and in our case, um, they might be different for different companies, or even different for us at different stages in our development. Right now, though, on the whiteboard before we start, we have what were our shipments yesterday in terms of dollars? What did we sell? How what, many presses? How are many running? presses are running? Because that's kind of our pulse on the business, you know. And then the third question is what we call autoket. 
which is our acronym for on time, on quality, every time. Love so it. it just tells Love us it. if it's a zero, we want to see a zero there. That yes, no customer complaints, no late de- deliveries. And right. it's a quick pulse into the business from a mm-hmm. high-level number standpoint. Because obviously in our L10, as we're looking at our scorecards, we'll drill down. But that at least gives us a chance to see what's happening on the daily basis. Yeah. And Patricia, I know, I know, I, I don't know if you want to like to share this, but you know what you just said is your, your leadership team has changed completely in the last two years. Yeah. And I know, I know at that one time when you took over, your, your mom was in the business and you agonized over losing her. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't the, the best, right? And we all live it every day. You know, we all have to make authentic and, and decisions that are, you know, impactful to the, to the health of the company. And um, obviously you learned, you know, early on that you that the people, the players, the, the high level team leaders are the ones that needed to switch it up a little bit. That's right. When I took over the company, we didn't have a leadership team. We mm-hmm. had, you know, some people in leadership, more leadership style roles, but essentially we had more functional, technical people uh, in the team and just a handful of teammates. But uh, what was different for me early on was we were transitioning it from a family business to a true business. And so, um, you know, with the transition of ownership from my grandparents to me, then they were no longer engaged in the business. Um, And then I still had an uncle, a mom and a cousin in the business. And so we made decisions along the way of whether or not it made sense for them to stay engaged and in what roles. And what I drove those decisions from mostly was, is it a cultural fit? And can you get engaged strategically and culturally with where we're driving this business? Did you go through the uh, people and people analyze each one of those people? You know, I didn't. We hadn't implemented EOS at that point in my early few months of the business. But I think as I shared in the last episode, I had brought in an executive coach um, in to help facilitate those conversations because I wanted to be tactful that there was a family element to it. And so I felt like I shouldn't just be driving that on my own, but to create a third voice of reason into what those conversations and decisions look like. And we would say in those early days, we weren't doing the same EOS um, meeting rhythm we had, but we had a weekly accountability meeting with that executive coach. And the way we started those meetings were, are you in or are you out? And we would ask each of our teammates because I knew there would be a large level of cultural change and change overall um, in the business that I felt like we all had to be asking ourselves every week, are we in or are we out of, of how this is evolving and changing? Yeah, I mean, whenever you're you're seeing yourself going through a transition, you always have to be you have you have to balance being respectful for the history, yeah. not only the history of the founders, the history of the people that have been there and got you to where you are right now, yeah. but at the same time, you also have to be mindful of well, where am I going? Um, and that's a hard that's a hard balancing act to make. Um, and the only way to you know truly do that well is to have good, honest, open communication. Yeah. So, is there any family members at all in the business? Anymore? No. Okay. No, this is good to know because I think our listeners want to know a little bit about you because they heard you on episode 26 yeah. and 28 when you came into the business and, and you had that. And, you know, I'm sure you agonized over it. I mean, that that had to have been a, a very difficult thing. Tough decisions. Of Absolutely. course it is. And of course it is. You know, is. where 
you hope they go as well as they can and you try to handle it with as much grace and diplomacy. Um, you know, for sure, my mom's transition out um, was the hardest. But um, I think that, you know, her position in the business also was, I think, as many people can relate to when you have a family business, you feel obligated to be part of it. And and she definitely felt her generation or her siblings were more obligated to be part of it. They weren't necessarily given many choices outside of the business, where for our generation, it very much was a push to go do other things, don't stay in the business. And so I think now it gives her an opportunity to explore things that she's more interested in doing than we're uh, more told for her to do. Yeah, I remember having conversations with you about your mom in the business at the time. And I don't know whether I gave you any um, decent advice or not, or any advice at all, but I do recall those conversations and just seeing the, you know, hearing the challenge in in your voice and and how you were going to address that problem. I used to have my mom in the business. Fortunately, we didn't have to um, exactly exit her. It just kind of happened naturally, but it it can cause a conflict. Like I know when my mom was in the business, I know this wasn't your situation, but um, she was doing a lot of our collection calls and nobody um, was more protective of the money that was owed to us than mom. And she took that very emotionally. And and it's not an emotional conversation that you should be having when somebody owes you money. (laughs) No, absolutely not. I, I will add, as an observer to, to this process that Trisha did a, you know, a really good job, of course, of handling those difficult conversations. But the family relationships are still intact, you know. And That's so, great. Yeah, I think everybody recognizes as long as you do it the right way. Yeah, and you, and you handle those people with the respect that they deserve yeah. and grace. And, you know, yeah. you, you want to make sure that that's your mom, yeah. maybe first and foremost. And Thanksgiving is still good family Thanksgiving. That's great. <laughs> so, Will, you're back in manufacturing. I'm glad I got to know you. I think you're a great guy, and uh, we've shared a couple glasses of wine over the last uh, few years. Indeed. And uh, cheers to that. But um, what, I, what I also think that is an interesting dynamic is how your business relation with Patricia has turned into a personal relationship as well. Uh, and and how, how, do, how do you... The how cat's you, out the back. <laughs> well, it is. It is. It, it, you know... It wasn't to Jason and myself, but it is now to the yes. to the yes. the metalworking nation that's listening to the show, and that's great. Um, do you find that you still have more complications or more issues now that it's turned into a, a personal relationship? So you're working on the business together, but now you're working on your relationship as well. Does I mean, obviously, it's got to cross over at some point. Yeah, and we actually started in a personal relationship and then brought it into business. So okay. we had been dating for for six months or nine months, and Will was transitioning off of his um, software business and had the time to get engaged in Matrix. And, and originally when it started, um, it was a, a very much an oh moment when um, our finance manager at the time said, we have two weeks of cash left. And this was not the reports I was seeing um, on a weekly basis, um, but what we soon learned was inventory was being counted as cash as well. And so we weren't seeing accurate numbers to reflect where we were at in the business. And it was also right after the business had transitioned from my grandparents to myself and the bank um, accounts changed too. Sure. 
And so I remember waking up that morning and saying, Will, uh, I just got this message that we have two weeks of cash left. And, um, you know, I'm not from an entrepreneurial or startup or manufacturing world. And as we all know, cash is so king in the business, but it's a heavily um, cash desired business because of the amount you put in material and labor and otherwise. So in your previous life, cash was basically... It, it, there was no issues with cash. It was never ending. There was an endless supply well, of it. Cash is for the always most part. a challenge and we always have to drive from a budget standpoint, but resources within pharma and biotech oh, in a publicly traded company with stock is very different than bootstrapping a startup manufacturing company. And or any manufacturing that, that company. you're doing on your own. Yeah. And so without any investors or partners in the business, um, became the quick decision of what are we going to do about this? And will having the experience of being in a more entrepreneurial startup background, I asked if he could get dig into the numbers and help me understand what we needed to do. And so what um, what started out as a, as a kind of um, panic moment and getting him engaged in some things evolved into, well, hey, does it make sense to stay in the business? And could this be a good visionary integrator relationship? Um, but then navigating what that looks like and how your personal relationship morphs too, right. along with that is different. And so we're always interested in, do people have personal relationships and driving businesses? And, um, you know, you hear many people say, I'd never work with my spouse or my significant other. And then you see others that do Patricia, it well. I would never work with my s- spouse. <laughs> It's just, it's not going to work. I I know it. And that's okay. We both know that. And that's fine. But, you know, for 29 years, I haven't. And that's okay. I think it works well that way. Yes. And and that's what most people say. And I would say that's probably true. Right. It is much easier when you have separation of business and personal and I had been so adamant my whole adult life to not mix business and personal life. And so this was a new foray for us. And we've definitely had to figure out and navigate how it works and make changes along the way. And, you know, as as you guys know, visionary and integrators are different in general. And so, you know, that dynamic is already comes with complexity. And then when you add in a personal element to it, it just ex- exacerbates it. And yeah, you could absolutely. spend 24 hours a day talking about it. So, you know, I've said we now have the witching hour that this is not a conversation that goes to a bedroom. This is not a conversation that goes past 9 p.m. or before 6 a.m. Because as much as I love this business, you need the break, too. Yeah. So I I would love to continue this conversation, but how about we keep you both here and let's dig deeper into that visionary integrator relationship because I think that um, the metalworking nation would love to understand that a little bit more. Some people might be saying to themselves, what the heck is a visionary? What the heck is an integrator? I want to hear more about this because it sounds like an amazing relationship. So, Well, I didn't know much about it until you told me what it was and now I totally get it. Until you started integrating me? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And and we'll share that with the metalworking nation. Just as like a yeah, just as a clue, you know, Jim has said to me on multiple occasions, you know, (laughs) you're starting to give me a headache with all these different ideas, (laughs) and that's my well, I I I only flush half of them out. So anyway, so so with that, um, no, it's you know it's it's great, Jason, and um, you know I always say at the end of the show, our our big disclaimer is, God, it's so great to 
to bring on friends and peers that have the same pains that I've been feeling for the last few decades. And it's not an easy thing. And it's not, you know, manufacturing is not easy anymore. It used to be back in the 80s and 90s. We were making money like uh, there was no tomorrow. It was super easy. It was not technical. You just had to be, you had to be smart, have a lot of drive and, and have some good luck along the way. Now, now you got to have it all. Um, so I, I hope that through this peer-to-peer sharing that we've equipped and inspired some manufacturing leaders today uh, or, or just through this episode. And if, if we have inspired you or we have equipped you, could you please go to iTunes and rate and review Making Chips? Um, the reason we ask you to do that is because it gets the word out. Um, Apple iTunes does have a lot of credibility in the podcast space. And if people give us five stars and, and say such great things about uh, Jim and I and the guests that we have on the Just show. Just say that I'm great. Gets, Don't say that Jason's yeah, great. Yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, you know, it really gets the word out about making chips, and that's our objective is to, you know, elevate the manufacturing industry, and we just want to hear more manufacturing leaders get on board. You so bet. with that... Say what my dad always said. If you're not making chips, you're, you're not, not making, making money. money. Bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. Do you want to introduce our guest? Because I am so excited that she's back with us. And uh, You don't care what's going on with me in my world? I don't. <laughs> it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's go. I hope he puts that in the bloopers.